If you have your Bible, we're in Matthew 2, beginning at verse 1. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, and the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will govern my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for this child. And when you have found him, bring me word, that I too may come and worship him. When they had heard the king, they went on their way, and lo, the store which star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came to rest over the place where Jesus was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. And opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Well, Bethlehem was about five miles south of Jerusalem. A church uh, that is there and has been there for a long, long time designates the place where they think that Christ was born. How many of you have been to that church? A whole bunch of you have. Uh, It's uh, a beautiful place, and you would enjoy it if you ever get the uh, opportunity to go. Bethlehem means the house of bread. Uh, in that day, there was a, a village, a small village, in the grain fields, and that was Bethlehem. The meaning is driven deeper by Christ, who is literally the bread of life. To us, Bethlehem means lowliness or smallness. Every time we sing the great hymn, it goes like this, O little, little town of Bethlehem. Matthew portrays the old King Herod in his cunning and in his cruelty as a man alarmed by uh, the news that a new king was coming. As you can imagine, Herod didn't like that. He said, I'm the king for crying out loud. You know, who does this uh, person think they are? I'm the king. Not going to have any other kings. Made it uh, very, very clear. Uh, He uh, was powerful, very, very powerful. He was alarmed by this new king that the scribes told him was apparently weak at first, but was actually divine and would have all power. Herod had magnificence. The army was with him. All the people were for him. 
He controlled the economics of the city. I mean, everything. The great, huge buildings, the palace. It was all a big, big deal. Herod had magnificence. Christ, however, was born in a manger. A little bitty manger. Herod had energy. Christ was just a little baby. Herod had power, and he used it to his cruel ends. Christ had compassion. He had a different kind of power. He wanted to serve and to love and to help and to save all of those with whom he came in contact. Herod was crafty. Christ was guileless. Herod had all Jerusalem with him. And Jesus seemed almost unbefriended. Notice how the story stresses those contrasts. We may notice here the beckoning of God. God reached out to the wise men in a distant land. He touched their hearts, their minds. As they looked up and saw a new star, they said, what in the world is that? Where did that come from? There have been books written about that star. Some said that uh, it was this close to earth, and others said it was this close, and some said it was this bright, and others said it was that bright. And I mean, there's been all kinds of things written about it. We really don't know. That's the bottom line. We really don't know. We do know that it was a sign sent from God. To those men, to entice them, to help them, to decide, to follow the star. It was far above man's reach in the mystery and majesty of the sky. It was beautiful. It had a unique uh, ability to move in a certain way. And it didn't vary night or day, week or month. It didn't vary. It always went in the same direction. Our prime need is not for a grocer. It's not for a medical doctor. But it's for a Savior. And in order for that to happen to each and every one of us, there has to be a sign given. Now, I'm not talking about another star in the sky. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about maybe the voice of a friend coming to you and saying, you know, why don't you join me in doing this? Or why don't you join me in reading this? Or why don't you join me with others that have had an unusual experience with God? You know, we we have a sign before us all the time. A sign that the Lord has given. The rainbow, the Bible, all of these things are gifts from God that he has given to us. Our planet has been blessed by this star, by this sun, by this Savior. All of these signs hopefully will read the populace of our land to our Savior. It might just be a book that's left open in a hotel room where you are staying. And you look down at the Gideon Bible and you begin to read and you realize, well, good night. 
I've never read anything like this before. That can be the sign. Or on some of the religious channels, maybe that would be the sign. Or a recording or a church service, maybe that would be the sign for you. This story is of man's seeking. There is purpose in the journey itself. As these wise men began to walk, they didn't really know what they were walking toward. They didn't really know what was ahead. And the further they walked, the more they thought, this is really something special. It must be God that is leading us. We don't know all about this. We don't know much about this. But we're going to follow as the star would lead. And they did. And don't you suppose after a week or a month or a year, and the star was still moving, that they began to think, well, how far are we going? Where in the world is this thing leading us? And as they walked, or as they rode a donkey, no buses, no airplanes, as they walked, they began to say, you know, God is leading us. And we have a resolve about following to where he wants us to go. There was a purpose in the journey. They resolved that they were going to see the Messiah, the Savior. They resolved, you know, after this interbiblical period, 400 years, there had been no word from the prophets. Nobody has stood up and said, Thus saith the Lord. None of that for 400 years. And now here's this star. In the sky. And the more they think about that, the more excited they get. Thinking and saying to each other, you know, this is, uh, this is something special that God has blessed us with. Christ was not brought to earth in the town where these wise men lived. They had to walk a great distance. They had to come to the resolve that they were following the leadership of God in their life. God safeguards our freedom. That's very important. He gives the sign. The sign has been given to everybody. The glory of his creation, the glory of the sky, the glory of the universe, the glory of the beauty of a baby, a flower. The sign obviously has been given. Now we can stay home, as the wise men had that option, or we can make a journey. And we're so thankful, of course, that millions and millions and millions of people through the years have decided to take the journey of faith, to go and to meet the Savior, wherever that might be. The journey always seems to be against common sense. The practical people always condemn it. When I was 15, I told my uh, parents that uh, I was going to go into the ministry. And they said in words other than these, Oh, don't do that. You know, they made that real clear. They thought that was a real bad idea. 
you know, my dad was an engineer. Uh, he wanted me to do something significant. Uh, he wanted me to get involved in some company where I could work my way up. He was dead set against this ministry idea. My mother just ridiculed it. My family wrote me letters from around the country saying, you know, that's not a good field. It doesn't pay well. <laughs> all kinds of comments, all kinds of leadership from uh, the practical people, uh, they all condemned it. I said I was going to be a, a Baptist minister. My whole family family drank a lot, and uh, they said, well, for crying out loud, don't be a Baptist, be an Episcopalian. <laughs> I said, well, I'm going to be a Baptist, and uh, they said, uh, that's a bad idea, bad idea. The journey that you take, that I take, anybody takes, is always blocked by both nature's barriers and by the Herod systems of the world. There's always an evil plan about in the world. You know, we see these pictures from around the world of who all's being killed in these wars and who all's being killed by the terrorists. And it's just horrible. It's just unbelievably horrible. Well, but it leads to life, to those who make the journey. You know, we have a choice. We, we always have a choice. Uh, we can move forward. Uh, we can move in the cadence that the Lord calls. Uh, we can come to change the methodology of our life. We perhaps would have to leave certain friends we perhaps would have to leave being politically correct in a secular society. You know, they're trying to take uh, Christianity out of the books, out of the statues, out of all the semblances of anything spiritual in our society. As we look at that, think about that. And we think, you know, we want to take a journey, a journey to the Savior. We want to be a part of the family of God. We have to be brave to take that journey because the world is not with us. It's just that clear, that plain. Certain items about the Magi are significant for Christian truth. They saw the star and then they became busy, busy following it. They had a daily fidelity to the work that they were doing. They weren't just sitting there waiting on the star to come. They all, they all had jobs. And all their friends told them as they were leaving, said, you're making a horrendous mistake. If you go, no telling when you'll be back, you'll lose all your business, lose all your friends. This is really a dumb thing for you to do. But in the freedom that God gives, they move. They move forward. The Magi were foreigners. Christianity, as you know, is a worldwide faith. 
And the Lord in his wisdom wanted to bring in some folks from away. Some people that were in a distant land. What do you think they did when they went back to their homeland? They began to tell people about the Christ, about the baby in the manger, about the Savior of the world. And all along life's way, they shared that truth and that glory. The wise men in Matthew 2 were looking for a palace, but they found a barn. They followed the star and they found a stable. They were looking for a crown, but they found a crib. What they found was nothing like what they expected. And at first they were very disappointed. They had walked a long, long way. And they expected more. We all have times like that in our lives. We expected success, but found hardship. Perhaps you anticipated employment, but now you're without a job, or a job that is much less than what you wanted. Perhaps the promotion you expected last year never came. You may have looked forward to retirement, and now that you're retired, you're thinking, you know, this isn't all it's cracked up to be. Uh, this, uh, this is not exactly the totality of, of what I wanted. Well, some folks seem so fortunate. It seems like they always make the right turn at the right place and get in the right position, and it's just one success after another. It isn't that way for everybody. Some of us in life follow the star, and we find a stable. We look for a palace, and we find a barn. Sometimes it seems like life deals us a fumble, a fumble. Sometimes we three-putt on the 18th green. Sometimes we get a 7-10 split in the 10th frame. Sometimes we drop our rod and reel in the lake of life, and we can't get it back. We can all learn from these wise men. I want to mention four lessons from the wise men that we can learn today. First, when they found the stable, they looked for God there. They had walked, scholars say, eight to nine hundred miles. That's how far they'd walk. Been all kinds of scholarship about this, and that's what they say. That's what they believe. When they got there, the Lord wasn't at the manger. He was in a house. Did you read the scripture with me? He was in a house. And many say that it was two or three years later after the birth. Don't panic. Uh, he's still the Savior. Don't let that worry you. If life is not going well right now, uh, God's in the stable or God's in the house. God has a wonderful plan and promise for each of our lives. If you're in the stable, God's in the stable. Wherever you are, that's exactly where God is. 
when I play golf, most of the balls go in the woods. I'm a terrible golfer. I haven't played in about 30 years, but I was awful when I played. I got real good at finding golf balls in the woods because that's what I was doing all the time. Well, guess what? God is in the woods. He's in the woods. If you are single and you've been dating somebody for a long time, it doesn't seem like it's going anywhere. Sometimes you're with the wrong person. But God is still there and he's still with you. And he's still trying to help at whatever juncture in your life uh, that could happen. You can trust God. Just give him time. He's not on our time schedule. He's on his time schedule. Wherever you are, even in the stables of life, God is there with you. Secondly, the wise men offered their very best to Jesus. Though they expected to find something else, the wise men still gave Jesus their very best. Their very best. They had gold and frankincense and myrrh. This year, we can offer our Savior, who was born among men, our very best. We can offer him our love and our devotion and our service. That's our very best. Our love, our devotion, our service. That's what we can give to him. That can be our Christmas birthday present to him during these days. We can offer him our love in so many different ways, our devotion in so many different ways, our service in so many different ways. He really desires our very best. Remember now, he gave his all for you. Thirdly, when the wise men met the Lord as a child, they allowed that encounter to change the whole direction of their lives. When I was 15, uh, sports were my God. I loved all the sports, loved it. I became a Christian the latter part of my 15th year, and things changed. Four years later, I was the pastor of a church in Texas. Can you believe that? Poor people. (laughs) I didn't know anything. Wherever, whenever you meet Christ, you can really change your priorities. In fact, Christ wants you to change some of the priorities that you have in life. Some people that have been takers all of their life, they come and they find the Savior. They receive a sign from somewhere and they go and they find the Savior. And guess what happens? They become givers. You say, well, that isn't likely for Uncle Ben or Sister Susie. That isn't likely. Well, it's happened millions and millions of times. Some people that cuss all the time, there comes a change in their life when they meet the Savior. And they start leaving some of those words out. Some people hate kids. They just hate kids. If they go into a restaurant and there's a kid sitting next to them, they get up and go to another seat. If they're on the airplane and there's kids beside them, they walk up and down the place seeing if they can find somewhere else to sit. Hate kids. You know, if if you meet the Savior, you become more tolerant. 
you realize that you were a kid. Somebody had to take care of you. You begin to think through some of that intolerance. Some people began to spend more time with their families when they come to see the sign. Have you had a stable experience that has changed you? This same Jesus is still changing lives today. Where you find Jesus at Christmas, where do you think he'll be? Think he'll be in Washington? Think he'll be in Israel? Where do you think Jesus will be on Christmas? You think he'll be at the Wailing Wall? Where do you think he'll be? I know exactly where Jesus is going to be this Christmas. He's going to be with you. That's where he's going to be. He is going to be with you. He is with his people. You know, families get together, and God has a huge, huge family. Tomorrow I'm looking forward to eating lunch with everybody. It's going to be fun. We're going to have a great time. If you are one of his, he's going to be with you. Number four, wise men still obey God and not men. These wise men were wise enough to listen to the voice from on high, not the voice of Palestine's most powerful pagan, Herod the king. If there was ever a time when God's people should be listening for a voice from on high and not the voice of men, it is today. Today. A Sunday school teacher was teaching her students about the Ten Commandments, and she would give concrete examples. She would give an example, and then they were supposed to call out the commandment. So they started. The teacher said, early one Saturday morning, Johnny's parents went shopping and they asked him to do the dishes and put them up while they were gone. When they returned home, the dishes weren't washed, they weren't put up, and Johnny was asleep. In one accord, the class responded, honor your father and mother. And the teacher thought, good job, good job, you got it. Then she started again. Ann went shopping with her mother, the teacher said. When she was going through one of the aisles, she picked up a candy bar and put it in her pocket. The kids responded real quickly. They, said, they all said together, thou shall not steal. Then the teacher gave a tougher example. Randy was a cruel little boy and had a bad temper. He got angry with his little sister one day and he grabbed her little pet kitten. And he said, I am going to pull this cat's tail off if you don't do what I want you to do. The students were very quiet for a few moments. They couldn't figure out which one of the Ten Commandments that should be a part of. Finally, one of the little boys said, what God has joined together, (laughs) let man not put asunder. God intended for Christians at Christmas to have wisdom. It is our rightful inheritance as the children of God. He wants us to blend together wisdom, the Christ, and ourselves. Blend these three together. Wisdom, the Christ, and ourselves. What God has joined together, 
Let not man put asunder. When you wake up in the morning, I want you to do what I ask you to do every year. Before you brush your teeth, before you go out in the living room, sit down, read the paper, before you do anything, when you wake up, when your eyes open in the morning, say, happy birthday, Jesus, because it's his day. It's his day. It's a special day. If you're here in the house today and you've not really given your heart to the Lord, you haven't seen the sign, you haven't followed the sign, but you've thought about it, prayed about it, you've decided that maybe someday you would like to be a Christian. I want to invite you to do that on this Christmas Eve. I want to invite you to take a stand for him who died for you. I'm going to stand down here at the front. We're going to sing a song. If the Lord leads, you just slip out, slip forward. If you're here, you need a church home, you've been visiting with us for a period of time, we'd love to have you as part of our church family. Just slip out. Don't be bashful at all. Everybody in here has done it. Just slip to the aisle and slip forward and take a stand for Christ today. I'll be waiting for you down here at the front. Let's stand.